0: Um, James, Jimmy C, as we're talking about Jimmy. Um, well, who is Jimmy C? Well, Jimmy is James, the book of James, and he was the brother of Jesus, C being Christ. It's, it's never as funny when you have to explain it, but looking at the book of James, this is week seven, we are getting near to the end. Uh, David Hooper is going to be preaching next Sunday, so you don't want to miss that, it's going to be brilliant. He's not here today because they've just welcomed their fourth, fifth grandchild into the world, fourth, which is fantastic. So uh, Josh and Abby, who you guys may remember, were here for a while and then they again rebelled against the call of the Lord, went back to Sydney. Um, They've had their first baby, which is beautiful, so we're super excited for them, so they're down with those guys this weekend. Uh, So we are, as I said, looking through the book of James, week seven, As has been my little catchphrase every single week, um, the book of James will, um, if you allow it and have an open, tender heart, will allow uh, us to be challenged in our Christian conduct and lifestyle. You can't read it and not go, oh, gee, that's, um, that's pretty challenging. Uh, but it's not meant to condemn us and make us feel bad or unworthy or shame or like we're not good enough. It's actually an opportunity for us to rise to a, a greater level of growing in the likeness of Jesus. Like on the wall there, be like Jesus. James will help us do that in a very, very practical way. What we've looked at is trials and temptations. We've looked at what is pure religion, looked at are we doers of God's Word or are we hearers only? We looked at discrimination faith without works is dead, taming the tongue, how wisdom from above looks like being a peacemaker. And Steve did a wonderful job last week, our sound guy Steve, um, he's not a sound guy, I'm just just kidding, Um, warning us against worldliness and unpacking uh, James chapter 4, 1 to 12, which was absolutely stellar. So if you want to catch up on any of those messages, uh, go jump on Apple Podcast or Spotify, shameless plug insert here. So now we're going to jump into the back end of chapter 4, the front end of chapter 5, and unpack some stuff that might sound a little bit like, what's going on here? But hopefully you get a clearer picture of um, what this is saying this morning. So Shannon, can we jump to the scriptures on the screen? So James 4 over here, 13 to 17, then it jumps to James chapter 5. Let's read along together. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live here and we will do this or we will do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Oh, it's juicy, but it gets better. Listen to this. This is really interesting now. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Oh, that is nice. Isn't that wonderful? He's feeling encouraged. I feel encouraged. It's beautiful. Um, You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist you. I probably should pray at that point. Um, I, I believe we should. Lord, we thank you for this passage and portion of your holy word. Lord, I thank you that today you would help us to unpack this in a way that would actually be meaningful for us in this life and that we would... Uh, have an open heart to receive whatever it is you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a big passage, big chunk of scripture, and there's a lot going on there. It's a pretty heavy content. So um, so we're going to just dissect it into bite-sized chunks that hopefully are helpful for us. So I've split the screen like this because this is basically, it's, it's written in two different ways, two different parts, right? So if we go to the next slide, Shado. This part is written to believers, and then chapter 5, he's addressing non-believers. So when you understand those two distinctions, you go, oh, okay, that makes a little bit more sense. So what we're going to do now is um, break down these two parts, so we can actually see what they mean contextually and what that might mean for our life. But I'm going to be a little bit weird and go straight to part 2, and then we'll come back to part 1 and finish there. So let's go back to part 1. Next slide. There it is. To the unbelievers, sorry, part two, the unbelievers. Come now, you rich. So he's addressing rich people, right? Now, how do you define rich? Because um, we might go, oh, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, um, Elon Musk, that's rich. And we get yeah, that super. But then again, you know, there'd be kids in orphanages throughout Indonesia that would look at us and go, they're rich. Um, I've been on mission trip through Indo and um, I am a very, very wealthy man compared to how these people live. So how do we define rich? You know, Even the poor in our country get given money from the government. So comparatively, I guess we're all rich. So how how rich? Who knows? Um, But you're rich. Weep and howl for the miseries are coming upon you. Your riches are rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, gold and silver have corroded, the corrosion of evidence against you is eat your flesh, yada, yada, yada. It is just awful. What we can see from that is it doesn't end well for the rich. It doesn't at all. It's just, it, it corrodes. It's just like, it's just horrible. So what does James have against rich people? Again, is he talking to us? Or is he talking to like the super mega wealthy? Like what, what level of rich is James talking about? And what does what his deal with rich people? And, and does the Bible really condemn wealth? Like the Bible talks about, you know, it's, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. But, but there's plenty of billionaire and millionaire Christians out there that do really good stuff for the kingdom and good stuff for humanity. So surely God wouldn't condemn um, wealthy people and richness for the sake of that. What he's talking about here... Specifically because the context is for non-believers. So he's addressing this this non-believing sect who are absolutely wealthy. And the issue he has for them, or the issue he has really with wealthy people in general, is those who amass their wealth um, immorally. Those who will uh, climb upon other people, who will scam the system, who will uh, be fraudulent and dodgy in their dealings in order to amass wealth in a way that is totally immoral. James is slamming, and in fact the Bible would slam that. But not just the fact that they amass their wealth immorally, the fact that they use it selfishly. That it really becomes all about them and what they have and what they do. Uh, so the Bible makes it really clear. James says it doesn't, it doesn't end well for uh, selfish, rich oppressors. Oppressor, oppressors. So the question needs to be asked, why is James even... like? This is a general epistle. This is a general letter written to the general church across... The world, right? Not to a specific location. So why is he using this letter as an opportunity to address unbelievers? Surely he's writing to the church. Great question. Thank you for asking. I appreciate that. Um, John Calvin says this. He says there's two reasons he reckons that, that James is addressing unbelievers about their conduct in regards to wealth. The first is so that God's faithful people may not envy the fortunes of the rich because it will all end in misery for them. And that can be the thing, right? We can... We can look as humble servants of Jesus. We look to rich and go, oh, gee, that looks good. And we get enamored by the things of the world, the pleasures of the flesh. And and we can look to celebrities and lifestyles and and things like that. And we can become totally um, bamboozled by the glitz and glamour of this life. And, And I think this is a warning to say, you know what? If you want to go down that path and just have everything for yourself, then just be careful because it will not end well for you. It will end in misery, corruption, and corrosion, ultimately, of your soul. Second thing is is to encourage the believers that God will avenge them for the wrongs that they have suffered at the hands of rich oppressors. It says that the cries of the harvesters reached the ears of the Lord, and so these these rich people who would use people and abuse people to make themselves wealthy, their cries have heard the ears the ears of. The Lord. So God will avenge those who have been treated poorly by rich oppressors. So it's an encouragement for us to not be enamored by that, but also not be discouraged because God will ultimately bring vengeance um, uh, and, and righteousness to our life for that. Does that make sense? Fantastic. That's great. Let's go to part one. Boom. Thanks, Shadow. Now, this is to the believers. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and we'll spend a year there, and we'll trade, and we'll make a bunch of profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, then we will do this and then we'll do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is a sin." So James here is intent on emphasizing the fact that life is short. And I find that the, the, the longer you live, the more you realize how short life actually really, really is. Uh, our eldest daughter is 15, and to my mind, she was born six months ago. Um, life just goes real quick. And that's why we've got to be conscious of the fact that we need to be present in the moment because you know he says that that life appears and vanishes like a mist. It's, it's like a sneeze. It's like a ch- And we can see life and all of a sudden it just goes. And that's what it feels like for me sometimes. So because of the brevity of life, James is saying that we shouldn't waste it on being so sure of ourselves and confident in the planning of our lives, uh, in planning our own lives in our own strength. He's sort of, in a sense, mocking those who have such a tight grip on their lives and such tight control over their life as if to say, well, God's not sovereign, so I'll just take control over my, over, over my entire life. James is actually trying to chip away at that. And rather than go, I'm going to plan this, I'm going to do this, I've got all this stuff planned, and God's just this added tack on bit at the end, James is saying, you know what? We need to bring God to the center of our decision-making processes. He needs to be right at the core of how we live this life, not on the peripheral, but right primary in the middle of our entire existence and being, which is sort of what Proverbs says in, in chapter 3, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. See, James gives us the suggestion of saying, if the Lord wills, then I will do this or that. But sometimes we can live our life in in this mentality. Well, I will that I should do this, so therefore God will do this or that to help me do that. And that's sort of not how the kingdom of God works. We have to start with God if it is your will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the Lord's prayer. So, so we can sort of get mixed up in how we approach life um, in, in that regard and having too much control over it in, in our own strength. Um, but what we're going to be careful of is this whole oh, the Lord wills thing, right? We can, we can make that, if we're not careful, meaningless Christian jargon. Oh, if the Lord wills. And use it as an excuse for apathy and laziness, just being honest. Oh, if the Lord wills. Really? And I've, I've been in situations where I've seen these, which I'll call super Christians, because they're, they're way more faithful than me, um, where they'll just they'll use the Lord's will in just interesting situations. Like, um, hey, did you want to come out for lunch? We're going to have some fish and chips after the service. Well, if the Lord wills, we'll be there. But I'm pretty sure, pretty sure God's okay with that. Pretty sure he's gonna be all right if you coming for fish and chips or you know, if and honey, um, um, I need help getting the kids um sort of for sport program stuff. If the Lord wills, I should be home by four o'clock. Leave the work earlier. Like, you know, we're not talking about trivial, meaningless Christian jargon that we throw out there to make ourselves sound more holy. If I'm coming across judgmental, that's probably because I am. I almost apologize. It's like, no, it's crazy. It can become nonsensical Christian rhetoric, void of all meaning and power. And this certainly isn't what James is talking about here. What James is talking about is sincere acknowledgement and appreciation of God's sovereign control over the affairs of life and His plans and purposes for us. Not whether or not we're going to have lunch afterwards or we're going to be home by 4 o'clock. Like it's, it's, It's right at the very core of who we are and God's massive plan for life. It's about making God central when it comes to major decisions and major directions of our heart and our life. It's listening to Him and taking His greater vantage point for the entirety of our lives. To put really simply, this is what this is what I think it's talking about. And this is a concept that I've been um, really wrestling with for probably the better part of this whole year. There's this, I don't know, this thing inside of me of, are we people building our empire or are we building his kingdom? Christians, that's what I'm talking about. Um, and that, that's been a big wrestle in, inside of me, like what, what, what are we doing? Are we, are we just building our empires? Big business, big career path, family sorted, my, my my wardrobe looks just so hot and sick and I've got this great life that I have built, this empire I have built for myself and guess what? I'm a Christian too and God comes along for the ride to just witness the, firsthand my awesomeness as I build this great empire for myself. Or are we building the kingdom of God? Big difference. We can have our plans and ideas and we can be like you know i just i just think of jesus in the garden of gethsemane is like you know god you know that's a cool plan and all but if there's any other way can i take that i'll take the plan b option nevertheless your will be done and that, that's got to be the posture of our heart. That's, that's what it means about God's will. Is about are we, are we consciously about our life and the sum total of our life being about building God's kingdom or is it about building our own personal empires? And at the end of the day when we're laying in, in a coffin, I hate to be morbid, at our funeral, what is going to be the general consensus about our life? They did a bunch of cool stuff and they went to church on a Sunday or man, everything that they did was God glorifying and others centred. Everything they did was to build God's kingdom here on this earth as it is in heaven. That's the kind of prayer, that's the kind of uh, feedback I would love, God willing, uh, at my funeral for people to say about me. You see the joke there, you're welcome, that's fine. As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Not as for the Lord in his house, he will serve me. As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. So at the end of this, in chapter 4, verse 17, he says, to know the right thing to do, what's the right thing to do? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be taken care of. Right? Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus himself revealing God and the kingdom through one massive sermon, incredible. To do the right thing, which is to seek first His kingdom, His righteousness, and all the other stuff will be taken care of. To know that and to not do that, whatever that might be, is a sin for that person. Because it's going to be different for all of us. We have different giftings, abilities, skill sets, life stages, all that different stuff. So we're not talking about specifics. We're talking about our general approach to life. If our general approach to life is in the situations, and circumstances God's presented for us, that we don't seek him first in those things and his righteousness and we abandon the opportunity to do that, that's sin for us. We can't put that on somebody else because it's different for them, but the principle remains the same. So what do we do with this? Because James is teaching us to include God, as I said, at the centre of our decision-making processes and filter our worldview through his will for our lives. He's also said previously in this book that our faith in God without corresponding works is dead. And he's also said, don't be just hearers of the word, be doers of it. So he really paints this, paints us, pushes us into a corner. I was like, okay, what do you do about that? This is James, the brother of Jesus, who witnessed Jesus' whole life and goes, I'll, I'll write that. I'll encourage some churches. This will be helpful. Hey, guys, you really need to make sure that, that God is not an add-on to your life, but he is at the very core, that you acknowledge his will and his purpose for your whole life. Then it will go really well for you. And don't, don't just be hearers of that. You've got to be doers of that because your faith in him must correspond in works. And we're not saved by our works. That, that, that null and void's Ephesians 2, that's a free gift of salvation. But we are saved to good works. God saves us freely to then give us opportunity to outwork that in the different things he calls us to do. So, what are we going to do with that? I want us to go away this week and think about that. Are we building, am I building my empire? My life, my family, my career, my workplace, my business, whatever it is I'm doing, is it just about me creating and amassing for myself? Or am I primarily about building God's kingdom? It's huge. Because if God and His Word are not central... the way we view this world the way we view our finances the way we view our marriages our children our health our friendships then what exactly is it that defines us as a Christian is it simply a spiritual club that we attend or is it a family of God that we belong to and operate under and on that heavy note let me pray Father we just thank you for this morning we thank you for this uh, meaty passage Lord, I pray that we would not be discouraged or feel like we have got to do more or be more, Lord God. I I pray that that would not, that heaviness would not just make us feel unworthy, but I thank you that it would be a a call and an an opportunity for us to step into a greater level of trust in you, uh, of of becoming more like you, Lord God. Lord, I just pray that you would really challenge us about how we view this life, how we view our faith. Lord, I pray that we would not be at the same point that we are now in our faith in 12 months time, that we'd be so proactive in pursuing you, sitting at your feet, listening to your voice, having your Holy Spirit encourage, convict, correct, and and empower us, that we would look dramatically different in 12 months time that we'd be filled with more faith than ever before more trust in you, more love for you more others centred and about your glory but Lord I thank you that it's not about just willpower and us mustering up the inner fortitude to do that but it's about us trusting that you will strengthen us in our inmost being to be the people that you've called us to be in Jesus name Amen